0: What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, got to tell you about the delicious, smooth Strava Craft Coffee. And guys, Strava Craft Coffee is a perfect one-two punch to get your day started. Not only is it delicious coffee and gets you that caffeine jolt you need in the morning or afternoon, if that's what you're going for, but it has the CBD infusion, which helps aches, pains, migraines, anything that's going on with your body. It helps calm down and it also helps calm down those coffee jitters. So what a perfect one-two punch. And we've got a perfect one-two punch for you to get in on Strava Craft Coffee. Use, if you use the magical code DNVR20, you'll get 20% off your first purchase of Strava Craft Coffee online. And once you've used DNVR20 and figure out that you like Strava Craft Coffee and want more, well, subscribe to Strava Craft Coffee and save 20% every single time you order and the great thing about it is you can have the option of getting your coffee sent directly to you every two three four six or eight weeks at that 20 percent off code you don't have to order you don't have to enter your credit card information it's just sent straight to you so make sure to check out the delicious smooth strava craft coffee and use that magical code dnvr20 or subscribe and save 20 percent off every order all right mace let's hop into the show Welcome to the DNVR Broncos podcast on this terrific Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into the show, guys, got to tell you about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. With the spring semester coming up in just over a month, it's crazy to say that, we have a few suggestions of what you may want to do. And time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturn is an education allowing you to adapt into varying careers. And you can build that toolbox at MSU Denver. MSU Denver has so many classes, 750 classes. They have so many different things that you can do there to build that toolbox. And you can get started in just over a month with the spring 2021 semester getting going. What they do a great job of is building the schedule around your life so you don't have to stop everything in order to go to school, and they bring the real world into the classroom. That's what MSU graduates tell us, and that's what people at DNVR have told us who have taken classes at MSU Denver, is that the professors bring real-life experience into the classroom. So make sure to check them out to see everything they've got going on. My boy, Mace, what's going on? How are you doing on this Tuesday? Uh, you you got to tell me. Tell me about this jersey you're wearing. It is awesome.
1: Okay. It is a New England Whalers jersey from back in their World Hockey Association days in the 1970s. So it's pre-Hartford. They would eventually just take the Hartford name. But there was a period of time where they played some games up in um, – they, they played some games elsewhere in new england and thus went by the new england moniker but what i find fascinating zach is this the logo on the chest it's a w with a harpoon through it okay yeah. and then on the shoulder you've got the smiling little whale which we would also see on hartford whalers jerseys and now actually we're seeing on a reverse retro jersey that the carolina hurricanes are going to wear because they're wearing a gray uh, sweater that's going to have the old Hartford Whaler logo on it and Pucky the whale on the shoulders. So one of the reasons why I got this is it's fascinating to me that you have a smiling whale on the shoulders and yet on the chest of the jersey is the instrument of its demise, a harpoon. <laughs>
0: yes, that really is. Wow. It's colorful. I love it. Give me some Give me some St. Patrick's Day vibes.
1: Yeah, green and yellow and, and white. You know, maybe I should wear this on a on St. Patrick's day. I'll probably, I'll probably bust out my Hartford Whalers, uh, my Hartford Whalers Jersey neighbor for one of these things, but you're know, getting into the winter. It's cold. We've got, you know, a, a hockey sweater feels like a, a pretty good choice right now.
0: It really does. It looks warm and that's exactly what we need on this snowy day in the mile high city and Mace. We just did something that probably brightened our moods on this snowy day, gave us some sunshine uh, and an otherwise cloudy day. We talked to Garrett, Bowles and holy cow, is he a fantastic story, inspirational, uh, and a great player for the Denver Broncos. Mace, today it comes out from Pro Football Focus that there is a new highest graded tackle in the entire NFL, and his name is Garrett Bowles. Just incredible, and it was awesome talking to him.
1: It was, and you know, Garrett's come a long way on the field. He's come a long way off the field as well in terms of, of these interviews. But uh, one of the things I like today is Garrett Bowles. First of all, there's a confidence there that wasn't there three years ago, a confidence, a presence. So what we're seeing is the on field performance i think is translating to just how he is off the field and how he is in this sort of environment with, with the media and he acknowledged that we've been hard on him all of us in the press and the thing that i i kind of appreciate is in his voice in his tone in his words is that he seemed to understand why yeah. everyone was hard on him it wasn't a you know belly aching about people being hard on him it seemed like he got he, he gets and understands why the criticism was so pointed over the last few years. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate that because, you know, one thing it, with Garrett Bowles is, uh, you know, we've talked about his play uh, on here on social media. We've written about it, of course, uh, for, in, and we've talked about it on the radio, everything, everywhere we've been over the last uh, three years, but I don't think it's been personal. I think it's been talking about his performance. And I always say, as long as it's not personal, then it's okay. But now, but he get, but this is a guy, I, I'm, I, I'm really, I'm really heart warm. My heart is warm to say this. This is somebody who seems to get it. And I really don't know if that was the case for a lot of his first couple of years. Even last year, where he was, remember he was blaming the refs for the holding calls against Chicago. This is somebody who I think now Gets it, and maybe before he didn't. It's a sign of of individual growth. It's really wonderful to see.
0: Yeah, big time maturity, and it's perfect to point to that uh, that comp- press conference that he had mm. after a game where he did blame the refs. And, and just over a year later, Mace uh, he says, "I know where you guys were coming at. I took it on myself to get better." And he said, "The first couple of years in the NFL, he was just going through the motions, and now." Mace he's, he's, he's taken sets barefoot in his kitchen during COVID having his wife, uh, you know, act as a pass rusher to help him. And he, he went through the very specific details, which you're going to have a great piece on uh, up on the dnvr.com later today on just about everything that has changed in Mace. It is so much. And after talking to him, I not only feel so happy for Garrett Bowles because of where he's at, but not just as a player, uh, but mentally, but happy for the Broncos that their first-round pick developed and Mace. This this is just huge for what it means for the Broncos because I truly believe that he legitimately has turned a corner. And Garrett says, you know, I still have six more games to prove that I'm one of the best tackles in the league. I he I don't. It has not been a coincidence these ten games that that he's put it together. It is incredibly good news for Garrett and the Broncos.
1: Yeah, it's not a coincidence. And the other thing I think that uh, we, we kind of have to, to, to look at as well is that it's not a coincidence that this steady improvement has happened with Mike Munchak on the job. And he was effusive in his praise for Mike Munchak this morning. And stepping away from what Garrett said this, mor- this morning on the Zoom call, what was Garrett Bowles' worst game this year by far?
0: Just a couple weeks ago, right?
1: The game where Mike Munchak wasn't in the stadium because of COVID uh, protocols.
0: Mm, great point.
1: He had more penalties that day than, he's had, than he had the rest of the season going into that. Yeah. And there is really something special going on with Mike Munchak working with Garrett Bowles and uh, you know it, B- Bowles because he he couldn't stop talking about Mike Munchak today in terms of the influence on him uh, the advice that he's given. I think it he mentioned how Munch tells the guys that, Hey, you get paid for your work in practice Monday through Friday, but then you play for free because that's where you just get to go out there and have fun. And, listening to Garrett Bowles and listening also the way he talks about the, the technique of his game Garrett never used to talk about the technique the way he does now with his hand placement and things like that and that's that's Mike Munchak reaching him yep yep this it, it absolutely is this is like one of those you know heartwarming films where the wayward student is influenced by, uh, by by the teacher that comes in and kind of changes his or her life, and uh, you know, and believes in that in in, in, the per, in in the kid, and says, "Well, you know, if you work hard, this and that," and spends the extra time. So, I mean, maybe it's it's like a it's like a football version of Mr. Holland's Opus, and maybe Garrett Bowles is Mr. Munchak's Opus in terms of in, in, in terms of composing a player who's playing at a symphonic level.
0: no, it's beautifully put, Mace. I totally, (laughs) totally agree. And uh, you know, it may only continue to take off. The 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 concert that you're saying may only continue to get better. As Mace, he said, he and Dalton Reisner want to be the best left side of an offensive line in the entire NFL. Said he hopes to play with Dalton for the rest of his career. Man, that would be very, very good news if that happened for the Broncos. And he also said. He wants to be the best left tackle to ever play the game. And then he also said some things that were on a smaller level. Like he just wants to be a consistent player. He wants to go out there and show John Elway over these final six games that John Elway and the Broncos can trust on him and count on him. He's not worried about being a pro bowler. He's not worried about his next contract right now. He just wants to show the Broncos – that he can be here for the long term, and he did say, Mace, that he wants to be here for the long term, and he actually did say that it would be nice to get a contract done in the middle of the season. And so, with all of these things said, Mace, it gets me to the question of what is Garrett Bowles' price tag, whether it's now, whether it's after the season, and how do the Broncos handle
1: it? Well, it's a it's a really good question because. Let's talk about the most recent left tackle contract, mm. David Bakhtiari. Mm. And you've got that value coming in at $23 million a year with 30 million guaranteed. Now the guarantee, maybe that's not as as high as you'd expect. And looking at the terms of Bakhtiari's contract effectively, uh, it's a two-year two deal beyond this one, although even in 2023, uh, the dead money would be $12 million, cap savings $11.5 million if the Packers moved on from him. But it's, it's a reminder of uh, what, the, what the price is going to be. Now, is Garrett Bowles going to be the highest-paid left tackle in football? Because he has the one great season right now, probably not. But let's also talk about some other average annual contracts for left tackles who've gotten paid. Laramie Tunsil, $22 million a year on a three-year, $66 million deal. Ronnie Stanley of the Ravens, who, of course, got hurt right after getting this contract. He's got $19.75 million of average annual value coming in on his deal, which is just a touch under $100 million. And by the way, the full guarantee for Ronnie Stanley is over $64 million. Tunsil's full guarantee over is exactly $40 million. Uh, you get to a veteran like Anthony Costanzo, short- term deal, two years thirty three million. But then another young youngish guy, Taylor Lawan sixteen million a year on a five year deal thirty four million guaranteed. Nate solder, fifteen point five million dollars on a current four year deal thirty four point eight million guaranteed. You are getting into some really tall grass here when you're talking about the the left tackle contracts. frankly, Zach. I don't think the Broncos are going to get Garrett Bowles done for anything less than $16 million a year and $34 million guaranteed.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the bare minimum. And Mace, right. something that we need to, to keep in mind here is, yeah, typically uh, a player can get two big contracts if they're good and worth it. Garrett Bowles may only have one huge payday because he's about to be 30 years old. So people may say, well, look, Garrett says he loves the city wants to be here. He'll take a discount. Ah, he may, he may not take any discount because of this. And so you, you do have to weigh, okay, was it one year? What uh, was that an anomaly? I don't think it is. The Broncos may try to make that argument that, that it may be to lower his price. But I don't think Garrett's going to say that. Garrett's obviously not going to say that. So I think I agree with you. I think it's at least going to be $16 million
1: a year. Yeah. And that's where it becomes interesting because this is the Broncos leverage. They could franchise tag him and get him at less money than those average annual values that I just mentioned. Like the offensive line projected franchise tag, number according to overthecap.com is 14.15 million, which is actually less than it was last year. It was 14.781 million. But that also reflects the loss of revenue and the reduction in the salary cap down to no lower than 175 million dollars. And it basically everybody expects the cap to be at 175 million next year because if it were based strictly on revenue, it would drop far below that. So That so the Broncos have the ability to say, well, we can get Garrett Bowles back for one year and get him at perhaps at least in 2021 for two, two and a half million dollars less than we would pay otherwise. But the problem with that, Zach, is that if Bowles has another exceptional season like he's having this year, then on the other side of this, and I think we all expect next year revenues to bounce back in a big way the stadiums to be full things to be a new normal, but normal once again, then are, is the Garrett Bowles price tag after two outstanding seasons upwards of 19 million, 20 million a year. So it becomes the situation again, where if you don't get something done, you're kicking the can down the road and the players becoming more expensive. Kind of like with Justin Simmons, he's having another great year and, the price tag on him is going up because they couldn't get it done this year oh man it's like you're 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 saving pennies now to lose dollars or a quality player later well mace that's a great
0: point because i was just going to make the argument that i think what could happen is they franchise tag him because it's going to be cheaper than any long-term deal they get per year right now and then they sign him to a long-term deal, kind of like they may have to do with Justin Simmons. Now, the way I view this is that Garrett Bowles' price tag is just so high already. The Broncos missed the mark, and I don't think they were wrong in missing the mark. No one expected this type of jump uh, from Garrett Bowles. So the Broncos missed the mark. Again, I'm not saying they're wrong with that, but they're too late on him to, to get a deal. I think he's actually going to get a deal of 18 to $20 million because Garrett Bowles is going to say, I want to be paid for what I'm going to do, not for what I have done. And I'm going to be one of the best left tackles in the league. So pay me that type of money. And that's when I think the Broncos say, okay, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make you prove it to us two years in a row. So we're going to throw the franchise tag on you, save about 6 million this year, you know, 14 million instead of 20 million on this year. And then, yeah, if you prove it to us that you can do it for two years in a row, then we'll happily make you, you know, one of the highest, if not the highest paid left tackles in the league. And that'll come in at 21, $22 million. So yeah. I think that'll be their mindset uh, to Mace, or it could be their mindset. And you know what, at the end of the day, just because I think his value is already 18 to $20 million, I don't think that that would be uh, a, a stupid move but the one thing that you do have to take into consideration like you said mace is values are down right now just a, right. just in the nfl although it's not really reflecting in some of these contracts that people are getting but what happens if those just skyrocket next year and then instead of the 21 million that we'd be talking about it's actually like
1: 25 then that's not a wise move well what hap- what's happening right now is that the elite players are still getting paid Right. The guy where where we're gonna see an impact in the market next year is the rank and file guys, the second and third tier. Like for we see like the Mahomes contract, we see the Bakhtiari contract, the Ronnie Stanley contract, others that have been thrown out around the NFL this year. Those guys, they're they're still getting the Brinks truck backing up to their driveway. And Garrett Bowles has become somebody who regardless of when it happens the Brinks truck is coming for is coming to him the Brinks truck is coming to Justin Simmons as, as well so even though the cap is dropping Justin Simmons is still going to find out that somebody is going to pay him that elite safety money and somebody's still going to pay Garrett Bowles if, if he is if he's on the market the different the thing is the Broncos have the franchise tag in their back pocket and I expect they're going to use it when all is said and done, but then what does that mean for Justin? Simmons? I know we're going to have a very interesting round table over the weekend, Zach, talking about the, the, the resources and the expenditures and uh, what the Broncos have to do because they really face some tough choices here.
0: Yeah, they really do. And it's crazy between those two players, Mace, uh, when the Broncos need to cut salary this offseason in order to stay under the, the cap, which will be hit Broncos may be spending $30 million total on Justin Simmons. And Garrett Bowles if not more between the two of them
1: yeah exactly and uh, I also want to use this moment here to say on the record because I can admit my failings I was wrong I did I was not an advocate for Garrett Bowles getting the fifth year option I said hey we haven't seen enough that's a misfire on my part sorry everybody I, I I got it wrong
0: well, Mace, me, me too, but I think the thing with Garrett Bowles that's actually different in this conversation is Garrett changed, and he's the first one to admit it. He changed. It's not like we were just down on him because he was Garrett Bowles, and he was playing good, but we just didn't want to see it. He totally changed as a player, and all credit to him. That is so tough to do three years into the league, but he did it. And it is such a cool story of resilience, sticking to it. Uh, You know, he says, I I heard everyone booing. And I understood that that meant that I had to get better. So this offseason, that's exactly what I did. And it was in the toughest offseason to get better on top of that, Mace. A lot of players are struggling after this offseason and not Garrett Bowles. He overcame that man. When he talks to us, he talks like a completely different person. This is some guy that will be with the Broncos for, for many, many years. So it's just so cool to be talking about Garrett Bowles in this light. And then also it's awesome for the Broncos because yeah, they're going to have to pay some money to have a left tackle, but that's the problem that John always wanted to have for many years is, okay, how much is this guy going to cost me? And then I don't have to worry about left tackle.
1: Well, the Broncos have had no problem paying core positions. You know, they've paid, you know, now you can debate whether it was a wise expenditure, but they paid Joe Flacco and Case Keenum quarterback. They've paid their eggs rushers, guys like uh, Von Miller and I think Bradley Chubb is going to be next. They've paid their corners, going all the way back to Champ Bailey, but then Chris Harris Jr., keep the lead. Now AJ Boyer and they invested in Bryce Callahan. So quarterback, left tackle. And remember, they had Russell Okung there a few years ago they gave a a good contract to for that one year. So quarterback, left tackle, edge rusher, cornerback. They've invested draft capital. They've invested a lot of money in them. They're willing to invest a lot in those core four spots. So the willingness should be there to make a deal and accept that you've got to pay the price here. The question is, will they? Yeah. So Mace, what happens? What
0: happens after this season with
1: Garrett Bowles? I think it's the franchise tag and the thing that Garrett Bowles has going for him. And he said, Hey, I'm not, I'm not talking about the contract stuff. I'm focused on my play. I'm leaving that to my agent. But one thing that is certainly coming up and is a point in the negotiations is how Garrett Bowles has played the last year plus and how, and, and how he ranks in the pro football focus rankings, because you know whether you buy into them completely or not, they are a negotiating point, especially when they're positive. Yeah. That agents are going to bring up, and they and the thing is, when you have that PFF ranking, that number like Garrett Bowles has, you have the confidence going into negotiations to say, if you don't give my client the money, somebody else will. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly, Mason that that PFF ranking number 1 in the league just incredible so mace he may say i want to be paid like the number 1 tackle in the league and then you're talking the 21 million 22 million dollars just crazy and remarkable the turnaround for garrett bulls it's it's going to be fascinating to see what happens and you know, John got a lot of pushback for not signing Justin Simmons this offseason. He's going to get some more pushback if it is, in fact, the franchise tag. But Justin is the only player that John has, has put on the franchise tag that has not then signed a long term deal. So just because he gets franchise tag doesn't mean a long term deal doesn't get done either before the season uh, or after next season as well. Man, this is, right. this is just a crazy, fun conversation. And I'd highly recommend you guys going back and, and watching. The Garrett Bowles press conference because it truly is something else. And uh and he he's just a pleasure to to cover now. And Mace, before we go any further, gotta tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook and the awesome deal that they've got going on this weekend. Uh or I should say Thursday for Thanksgiving. They're giving all users a chance to double your money if you enter. on either Baltimore or Pittsburgh if they score a touchdown in Thursday night's game. All it takes for you to to double your money is if one touchdown is scored. That's right. All you have to do is opt into the promotion, place your bet, and then sit back and watch the ball enter the end zone on Thursday night. Easy. On top of that, DraftKings is offering all new users a deposit bonus up to $1,000. The holiday spirit is time for family, so curl up on your couch with your favorite sportsbook app and make it rain, specifically on Thanksgiving night. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable, make it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So head to the App Store now, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this campus offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you the chance to double your money if either Pittsburgh or Baltimore scores a touchdown in Thursday night's game. That's right. All it takes is one touchdown, and you double your money when you use promo code DNVR during sign-up. For a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of the first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play-through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.
1: Now, normally, Zach, and uh, you listening out there at this time of year, i would be talking to you about Breckenridge Brews Christmas Ale. And it's a snowy day here in the Mile High City, so some Christmas ale actually seems like an appropriate way to uh, spend the evening once I start winding down. But you know what? Breckenridge Brews has got something awesome going on if you're in the Denver area right now because with things shut down, families, they're looking for activities to, to do. Breck Brew has you covered down at their brewery facility in Littleton right off of Santa Fe. They have set up a skating rink right outside of the farmhouse, the restaurant that we've often told you about here on the DMVR Broncos podcast. It's $3 to skate with your own skates, $6 for skate rental. And if you want something free, they've got a tubing hill. So you know what? Take the family out there. Enjoy beers and delicious food from the farmhouse in a cozy outdoor setup and let your kids have some winter wonderland fun. I, you know what? I'm hearing, I, I heard about this, and I'm sure that I'm going to be taking uh, Charlotte over there uh, one day to have some fun outside, but also enjoy one of those delicious Breckenridge brews. Of course, Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer at DNBR, and even if you don't want to go ice skating or go tubing, check out the farmhouse because even with the shutdown, they're still open for takeout orders. If you order your meal and beer from the farmhouse, use that magical code DMVR and save $5 off your meal. Call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. for pickup. They'll bring your to-go order out to your car for you. Also, don't forget about that 15-can sampler through Drizzly. You can get it in Colorado, plenty of places, but as we heard yesterday, you can get it outside Colorado in some spots as well. As well, So to find out where you can get that 15-can sampler or any of those break brews. Go to the Breck beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website, and you'll be able to find out wherever in your area you can get some of those delicious Breckenridge brews. It comes in handy for me on some of those Broncos road trips when I want to have a a, a Breckenridge brew on a Saturday night, have a little taste of Colorado, wherever I am around the country. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DMVR. Like I mentioned earlier, check out the winter fun setup they have outside of the farmhouse down in Littleton. $3 to skate with your own skates on the skating rink outside the farmhouse, $6 to rent skates, and that free tubing hill they've got set up for you.
0: All right, Mace, let's talk to the people. First one coming in from our guy, Spencer Smith. What's up, gentlemen? You hit the nail on the head talking about this being the correct formula for Drew Locke. He looked great after the first pick. My question is, because I'm still not either sold on Locke or not sold on him, do you think it's worrisome that this is the formula by running the ball so much and him throwing off play action and that he won't be able to go and execute the game plan uh, if those plays don't work? Basically, is this the formula just handicapping the Broncos' offense from truly being explosive and successful? or just a stepping stone to getting his comfortability and becoming a better NFL quarterback? That's a
1: good question. It's a very good question because you hope it's a stepping stone, but at the same time, if he can't step beyond that, then his ceiling is going to be limited, and uh, you hope that if that's the case, the Broncos know the difference. I actually I was telling a friend this a couple of nights ago. I was reminded of – a situation uh, from back in the mid-1990s with uh, with Tampa Bay. And, yes, there's a Denver connection here because one of the games where their young second-year quarterback showed some potential in a similar type of scheme that kind of protected him a bit uh, was Craig Erickson. A, I believe he was a fourth-round pick when he came to the league in 92 and he was starting in 93 and led the Bucks to an upset of the playoff-bound Broncos – In week 17 of that year at Mile High Stadium, a game that helped cost the Broncos a home playoff game with Wade Phillips as head coach. But they get to the offseason, they get to the draft, and a lot of people think, okay, they're going to see where Craig Erickson goes for another year, but they're sitting at number six, and then Trent Dilfer falls to them. Uh, And there's actually a documentary on ESPN about, or on NFL Network somewhere about the 1994 NFL draft that has a lot more information on this, and they weren't sold enough on Erickson based on that offense that protected him with a lot of play action type stuff, some very similar concepts that Sam Weiss was running in that office, what we saw on Sunday with Pat Shermer and Drew Locke. And they picked Trent Dilfer because they felt that his ceiling was higher. And so if Drew Locke doesn't build off this, if this stepping stone is just stabilizing him, but he can't take another step, then you hope that the Broncos' powers that be know the difference and don't stand pat. Right, Mace, exactly. I totally agree. And
0: they'll know better than anyone behind the scenes. But that's why mm-hmm. I'm also okay with them taking the training wheels off before week 17, before the season's over. Just And it can be a slow progression to help Drew, but the training wheels need to come off to see if he can be an NFL quarterback without being babied because uh, that's not going to be successful long-term, Mace.
1: Exactly. Very, very good point. Vaughn Miller's Chicken Farm. Howdy, gents. Hoping you're right the team can get another win or two and keep Fangio and company to keep the young guys progressing. There will be enough roster churning with the projected cap falling next season. My question for you is how catastrophic would it be if Munchak took an offensive coordinator slash head coaching job next season? Worries me about the cohesion and development of Bowles, Reisner, Cushenberry, Glasgow, and the turnstile of right tackle. P.S. The O-line is going to have to earn their keep this weekend against the Stingy Saints front seven.
0: Yes, you're 100% right. This Saints, this Saints front seven is extremely good. Uh, and Mace, that I would be very worried if Mike Munchek left. I mean, look what he's done with Garrett Bowles. Maybe that can continue without Mike Munchek, but also it, we knew he was a great coach coming in. I think the good thing is, I don't know if Mike Munchek's leaving for an offensive coordinator job. He is very happy with his family here. He's getting paid a lot of money
1: to be an offensive line coach.
0: But there is always a possibility. What if? What if he gets tagged to be a head coach?
1: Exactly, and I mean I don't think there are many possibilities for which he would leave because remember there are family considerations involved with him being in Denver. He has a daughter in the area. He I think he's a, even got a, a grandchild in the no. mix here in, in Colorado. So these things were very important. It's you know the Broncos were very fortunate that circumstances lined <laughs> up for them to get. Mike Munchak because the other thing with Munch is this he literally signed on to be an assistant coach in a place where he interviewed for the top job and didn't get it
0: yeah
1: is that something that you would do in in your own in, in your own position I mean that takes swallowing your pride swallowing some ego a little bit uh to sit there in the meetings and know that you were really close to getting that job. And Mike Munchak was really close uh, to getting the Broncos head coaching job back then. So that being said, like I said, it'll take the right situation for him to leave. And I'm not really sure what that right situation would be. I mean, if, if the Steelers had a perfect season and Mike Tomlin said, I'm, I'm good. I'm, (laughs) I'm walking, I'm walking away. But Pittsburgh's orientation in terms of head coach hiring historically has been to hire the younger coach. So if Mike Tomlin decided after a potentially perfect season, it'd be like, I really can't do anymore. That's it. I'm out. I'm going to leave on a high. Then Pittsburgh would look for the next, I think the next young coach and not Mike Munchak. So maybe there's it's probably a very limited set of jobs for which Munchak wouldn't leave as head coach, but still, uh, yeah, you can't afford to lose him. I think uh, uh, with all respect to the other coaches on the staff, he's the MVP of the coaching staff right now. Yep, I totally, totally agree. And that's, that's why the Broncos brought him in, is to
0: with that hope. And man, he has lived up to it. Next yep. one coming in from Casper. Fellas, I've been burned by this feeling too many times over the past few years. The Broncos have a great game plan and executed to victory. Everybody feels like they have turned the corner. Then the very next week, it's back to the same old plays that have never worked. Please give me confidence that Shermer will see the results from this and keep this train rolling. What is it about NFL coaches? And they overthink
1: every little detail. Just keep it simple, stupid. Overthinking is, is what you do when you end up working 90, 100, 110 hours in a week in, in game prep because you're trying to turn over every stone and sometimes that can send you down some intellectual dead ends. It, it's It's funny. I've always thought that if, I ran an NFL organization. I would want to experiment with some things. And one of the things i want to experiment with is making sure my coaches were out the door every night at like seven o'clock, no later than that. Yeah. And make sure that they get enough sleep because there are a lot of studies that show that, you know, that your mental performance declines if you go without enough sleep for a long enough period of time. And that sometimes I think that, that happens that, that happens to coaches a little bit, you know, that, and, it's, and in the Broncos headquarters, at least a couple of years ago, uh, there were little messages around the cafeteria and so forth reminding players about the importance of sleep. And I think that's something that coaches should should go and take in mind as well. And when you're working 90, 100, 110 hours a week, you do kind of overthink things. So I think you kind of make a good point there there, Casper, even though I probably took it in a much different direction than you, than you were thinking.
0: <laughs> well, I, Mace, I completely agree with you. There's so much overthinking in the NFL, mm-hmm. and it's crazy that you'd want your employees to have a humane uh, work and, and life balance. You're crazy for thinking that.
1: <laughs> you know, many years ago when Steve Spurrier was coaching in Washington, I was actually rooting for him to succeed in part because he came into the NFL and he. Explicitly said that he didn't want his coaches working ridiculous hours. That uh, uh, he felt like it could be done in, in not not necessarily nine to five, but in a saner manner. Well, unfortunately, Washington had two consecutive losing seasons, and Steve Spurrier went back to the nurturing bosom of college football, from whence he came, uh, going to to South Carolina not long after that. So. It it didn't quite work out. The, the other another example. This is going to the wayback machine. Is uh, Bud Grant. He coached the Vikings, of course, from '67 to '83, and then again in '85. Bud Grant famously would he'd get to the office early in the morning and kind of and get started, and then he would leave for a couple of hours and go hunting or fishing. <laughs> That's he, incredible. He'd come and he'd come back to the facility, old uh, Winter Park uh, out there in uh, outside of Minneapolis, and he'd be done by 5:30 or six and he got to the Hall of Fame. Of course, he had a great quarterback in Fran Tarkenton and a, maybe the greatest defensive line ever in the pe- Purple People Eater. So it probably helped him out a little bit. <laughs>
0: yes, and I believe Tony Dungy also let people leave, uh, yeah. made sure that, that assistants were out. And uh, that, team, that team had some success. So, uh, man, did. and it, there is something to that, not overthinking.
1: They also had Peyton Manning. And ah, if, that helps. If you're <laughs> not at the office and you're not overthinking, Peyton will do it for you. Although the, there, are, there are some hilarious stories about how uh, the Colts would be flying back from a game, flying back from a game, and their uh, their offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen, might be trying to like to get some sleep, and uh, and Peyton would be w- waking him on the plane, like you, know, hey. I want to go over this. want to go over this. Let me, let's see what happened here. Poor Clyde, and I think Jim Caldwell as well at times, they just wanted to get a few Zs after the game on the way.
0: <laughs> That's good. Next one coming in from Garrett Bowles. Sheesh, I was bulldozing those chumps on Sunday. Anyway, before the game, Matt Miller reported, according to a scouting source, is that the Broncos aren't set on lock and, quote, know that if he doesn't show improvement this year it has to be open to selecting a first rounder at the position if it's able to add an elite prospect my question is what does Locke have to do for this not to be the case and you're confident Locke is the 2021 starter
1: what does he do where this is going to be the case well it's interesting you know the scouts are doing their homework on everybody right now and I'm sure it's something that's that's on the radar however one thing to to consider here and sorry my daughter was just asking if the candy cane that I brought was for her yes indeed it it is for you Charlotte she's got a snow day today so (laughs) so anyway one thing there are a couple of things in play number one Vic Fangio if he's going into a year in which he's on the hot seat and if John Elway is going into a contract year are they, are they riding on that year with a young quarterback? Or are they looking at a veteran? That, I think that's something that has to be, uh, to be considered in this, but even though that's, that's sort of independent of Drew Locke. So to, to, to touch on your question, what Locke has to do for it not to be the case, well, if he has games like he had Sunday, that's not going to be enough. Where, right. where he has the early mistake. He's, you know, what's the real lock? Is it the guy who started off 0 for 6 or the guy who completed 75% of his passes (laughs) after that? Including one that he didn't want to complete, which is probably (laughs) one of the most hilarious connections in Broncos history. So he's got got to step beyond this. And And unfortunately, you go against the Saints, and their defense is playing all world football the last three weeks. And then you turn around against the Chiefs where realistically you're going to have to open it up to open it up to, to, to have a chance if your defense doesn't hold up. Although I still think the best course of action for the Broncos in that game against the Chiefs is going to be a slowdown game. And then if he gets beyond that, then maybe you start kind of expanding things out to see if he can build off of, of these games. But if what he did Sunday, that level, if that's the ceiling for him, if, that, if he doesn't progress beyond that, then you have to be in the quarterback market. And remember, and as you know, Zach, and, I'm, and, and everyone knows, when you're a second-round pick, they're not married to you. Yeah. If you're a first-round pick, they're probably, with some exceptions, Josh Rosen, Arizona, getting the number one pick the following year, that's an exception. But with some exceptions, they'll stick with you if you're the first-round pick a lot longer Than if you're the second round pick. Unfortunately, the second round pick is perceived in organizations to be a bit more disposable at the quarterback.
0: You're 100% right. And Mace, on top of that, the Broncos passed up on Drew Locke three times. They passed up on him at 10, they passed up on him at 20, and they passed up on him the pick before they drafted him because, of course, they got Dalton Reisner. So uh, you're spot on with that. And I think for the Broncos to not be in, in the first round quarterback conversation, if Drew Locke continues to take steps, from where every single week he takes a step from where it was this past game, then they won't be spending a first round pick on a quarterback, but we still be made maybe at the point, if they're small steps every game where they are bringing in a Sam Darnold for the Broncos to be in the first round quarterback conversation, Mace, if he plays the way he has most of this year, the rest of the way, well, then they're going to be in for a big time quarterback. and may be more than just bringing in a veteran uh, to back up, they'll be either trading for a veteran, signing a veteran, or in the first round quarterback conversation.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to put a number on it here. And you make great points, Zach. By the way, and um, the number i i think you probably have to—to uh, to look is at 70 or maybe even 75, because if his if his pa- especially if his if his passer rating is below 70, what some wise asses used to call the Cordozo line, in <laughs> honor of the mendoza line in baseball and cordell stewart if he's below the cordoza line i would say the cordoza lines probably this day and age is probably 75 if if he's below there then you got to have another plan
0: yeah may 75 is the magic number because (laughs) i agree that's that's the bare minimum that he needs to be at yeah. Next one from Hawkeye Bronco. Fellas, while I was enjoying watching a Broncos win and seeing Drew make progress on Sunday, I'm worried this team might just be playing itself into the middle tier of the NFL. If that plays out, and Denver has a pick around 12 to 18 in the draft, what position do they target? If it's not quarterback, going to the season left tackle was the obvious need, but if they re-sign Bulls, what do you think is the biggest need to address? Defensive line edge rusher is what I see at this point. Thanks for the great pod. Go Broncos and go DNVR. Mace, this is a funny question because I was on, uh, I was on a, a national podcast uh, two weeks ago, I believe, and they asked me a draft question. They said, Who's, who are the Broncos interested in the first round? I said, I have no idea. And my thought process was exactly Hawkeye Bronco. Okay, if, if we're saying not quarterback, well left tackle would have been the easy call before the season but now it's not left tackle because bowls will be on this season next year or on this team next year regardless of if it's franchise tag or a re-sign uh and so i went to the the defensive line and just just thought maybe they try to get a player uh you know a best player available on the defensive line or front seven
1: yeah i think that's gonna be a possibility i don't think you can rule out to I don't think you can rule out the secondary as, as well. Uh, there's a you know, a player that I really like who uh, chose to opt out this year, uh, because of COVID is a Caleb Farley out of Virginia tech. And, yeah. I think if the Broncos decided, uh, because they wanted to get some other contracts in and it, if they decided to move on from AJ Bouye, you might need to make a move there. And that goes back to an earlier comment, alluding to the drop in the salary cap. And, uh, you start thinking, okay, if you want to keep Justin Simmons, if you want to do this and that, you might have to make some room. and uh, uh, unfortunately, AJ Boyer's contract, unfortunately for Boyer, it's an easy contract to, to cut if you're trying to make some room because it doesn't leave you dead money, similar to uh, Jarrell Casey yeah. in, in the mix as well there. So uh, there's some moving parts. So there are some needs that don't look like needs right now that, that could be needs. I would say you could be talking about any level of the defense being something uh, that the Broncos look at. And then it depends on their record. If they finish like six and 10, seven and nine, they're probably out of the Micah Parsons sweepstakes. Maybe they're looking at uh, Joseph Osai uh, linebacker after out of Texas or Ch- Chad Serrata North Carolina. If he's in the draft process.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Mace. It's crazy. If it's not quarterback, I think it's pretty, pretty much a lock. It's going to be on the defensive
1: side. I I agree. I think uh, that's where it's headed. They've invested so much in the offense in terms of the personnel they've brought in, and that and at that point you you got to start kind of balancing it out a little bit for the long term. That defense is going to get yo- is going to get younger. You hope it becomes more effective, but the the quarterback thing is looming over everything because if Drew Locke isn't the guy, and say the Lions hit the reset button, well then you could be saying. Goodbye to that number one, uh, that first round pick, and it could be head to Detroit for Matthew Stafford if you want to go for a veteran, or if you want to go for a young guy again. I think the Broncos would look to try to move up. There's there's a there's a lot in play right now. I mean, it, there is. It, it's it's now that being said, in the summer I was pretty certain the Broncos were going to take a tackle, and now I expect they won't take a tackle in round one.
0: Yeah, I think we're all right there with you, May. Great point. Next one from SD Bronco ninety three. Reposting here because posted on the wrong pot. Uh, well, 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 RK, Zach, just so you guys know, I ended up coming through and subscribed for the first time ever using promo code Broncos. There we go. We got him. I asked nice. both of your advice on Twitter regarding who I should start for fantasy. Alex Smith, Jameis Winston, and Taysom Hill. I should have listened to RK. I went with Alex Smith. Doesn't look good for me so far, but oh well. To the rest of the community, I would like to say hello And if anyone would like to follow me on Twitter, uh, he's at Twitter slash, or Chris, C-H-R-S-B-O-I is his tag on Twitter. I'd also like to connect with you of the rest out there. So stoked to finally be a part of the family and always going to be holding it down over here in San Diego. Appreciate you all. Well, now you don't have to worry about San Diego Superchargers. And we really appreciate you for riding with us.
1: I wish we were still worried about the San Diego superchargers hearing that at a game I miss I miss San Diego LA is the inferior road trip to San Diego 100 percent. and by the way he says that if he had picked up Taysom Hill like RK suggests he would have won by four tenths of a point <laughs> oh, no. and, and I would definitely say even though you've got Al, it's now Alex Smith going against the Cowboys Could be interesting possibilities there on Thursday. But the thing with Taysom Hill that he brings, of course, is the ability, as he showed last Sunday, to get a couple of touchdowns in the running game if he's playing full-time like that. And from a fantasy perspective, that's what's usually going to tilt the scales towards somebody like him. Because I, I, I imagine you may be in a league where the rushing touchdowns are worth more than the passing touchdowns. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about that, man. Next time you need to tag Mace in that too, uh-huh. because I, I led you astray with Alex Smith. I'm sorry, my man.
1: <laughs> I, I'm taking a year off from fantasy this year, but uh, a lot of my decisions for better or for worse are entirely driven by mathematics and analytics. Oh, as it should be. That means you're yeah. good. <laughs> it, uh, not always. <laughs> I have, I've had some poor years. So <laughs> Windy city Bronco after another elite game by Justin Simmons. I started thinking about when he might get extended. Then I remember we still don't even know what the cap number is going to be. Do you expect to see any extensions coming during the season, given the uncertainty it's looking like Bowles and Simmons are getting expensive. First of all, we have a good idea on the cap number because it can't go any lower than 175 million. Now, if, the cap number was strictly based off the revenues this year compared to what they usually are as we estimated a few months ago it would probably be around 120 to 125 million so there's still going to be a discrepancy between what the cap would be if it was straight off straight up based off of 2020 revenues and what it will be and so that's going to lead to some cash issues for some teams
0: yeah, it's a great point. And Mace, uh, you can't extend Justin Simmons right now because he's on the franchise tag. You'd have to wait till after the season, but you could lock up Garrett Bowles to a contract if you wanted now. However, I think it'll kind of be the opposite. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that, that the financial reasons will kind of push teams back and say let's do things in the offseason when we know a little more.
1: Right. From Jason17. My boys! What's up on this wonderful Tuesday? I wanted to start off this comment by going back to Friday. In and Out is not worth the hype. Slender. Sorry. I have a little editorial comment there. My girlfriend's family loves it. When I finally made down a truck to Utah to try it, the burgers and fries taste like a cheaper version of McDonald's. The only thing I would go there again for was the milkshake. And I mean, how hard is it to really make a milkshake? I hope In and Out does not expand to Wyoming and we instead get some more Chick fil A's. Or another good restaurant. Oh man! Oh wow! All I'll say is they must have had a really bad day when you went there. I the the McDonald's comp. It couldn't be any farther from. Yeah, yeah, that must McDonald's. have been a bad
0: day. I, I'd recommend <laughs> trying it again. Although I'll say that McDonald's fries are definitely better. I don't know if many yeah. people are defending In-N-Out's fries, but I mean their burgers are as good as you're gonna get for fast food.
1: Right, and I mean the milkshakes—they're very good. They're they're not cookout level good down south specifically in the carolinas but they're good <laughs> oh i'm hungry already mace it isn't even 10 a.m yeah. <laughs> right now we'll get to the broncos looking forward particularly the game against the bills there's been a lot of people saying this game will depend on josh allen's play i completely dig- disagree the broncos are going to win sweep the AFC east and prove, and prove that now the patriots dynasty is over it will be the denver broncos rowing the east Have a great day and go Broncos.
0: Hey, I love that. I love that. And pretty incredible. If the Broncos win, they will beat the entire AFC West
1: or AFC East. Yeah. And a fat lot of good. That's going to do them in the standings. (laughs) Well, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, are they moving to the AFC East? Uh, no, probably not. So, <laughs> actually, the division you want to be in right now is the NFC East, not the AFC East. The NFC East, Seriously. the Broncos. They'd be the, as you, I think you point out on Twitter, they'd be the first place Broncos right now in the NFC East.
0: Insane. The leader is the Eagles still, right? At 3-6-1, and one. so Broncos at 4-6. and yeah.
1: six. <laughs> But the winner of Dallas against the football team on Thursday mm. is going to be in first place Holy by cow half game. I was thinking
0: just how bad the first two Thursday night games are, but actually that one's good because of what you just said. So thanks for making uh, that Thanksgiving football game more interesting, Mace. All right, Mace, before we go any further, got to tell you guys about the WGT tournament that we have going on this weekend, just announced starting this Friday to Sunday, we'll be hosting the candy yam classic at Marion. That's right. A fun Thanksgiving theme tournament. For all of you fine folks and all country clubs in WGT can participate and better yet, anyone can win. You don't just have to be the best at WGT golf to win. All you have to do is play to win. And make sure to join the DNVR4 Country Club if you haven't already joined our series of Country Clubs. So go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT. Once you're in WGT, go to our Country Club section and search for DNVR and the number four next to it to join our series of Country Clubs. And once you're in, head to Marion Golf Course and enter into the closest to the whole challenge. Submit your screenshot on our pinned Twitter thread at DNVR Sports or email them to info at d- thednvr.com. And once you have entered to win, we will choose a random winner each week to pick out a shirt of their choice and a mask, and we'll ship it straight to you. We'll host a new tournament every single week leading up to Christmas, and the winners are picked every Monday. We heard from someone just a couple days ago saying they won. What shirt should they get? That could be you in one week from now. So make sure to get in on this tournament at WGT. So make sure to join DNVR4, head to the Candy Yam Classic of Marion, and hit some balls to get closest to the pin. Enter your screenshot, and there you go. You could win. So make sure to get in on it after Thanksgiving.
1: You know, a few months ago, Zach, when they were trying to figure out sports schedules in the pandemic, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if they moved the masters to Thanksgiving weekend? But mm, last yes. they didn't. But when you've got the candied de- yam open, you're you're still you're still doing okay. And <laughs> if you've had candied de- yams at your Thanksgiving spread, you wanna make sure that your teeth are clean right after that. Hey, they taste good, but they can leave some residue. So make sure You're taking care of your teeth, of course, with that Sonicare toothbrush at home, but also with our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group, the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. We've had several DMVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental over the years and make them their permanent family dentist. They reach out and let us know how great their experience was, and they thank us for leading them to such a wonderful practice. And if you didn't know, Green Mountain Dental Group, they're in Lakewood. They're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us, and they are long-time supporters of DNVR. Make sure that Sonicare toothbrush, because if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam over at Green Mountain Dental, you're going to get that free Sonicare toothbrush, and you know what? It's worth it. It will help promote good brushing habits. You'll feel the difference in how clean your teeth are. I have a Sonicare. I recommend it immensely. They'll treat you like family, no matter what time of year, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthday. They'll treat you like Part of your family longtime dmvr partner they show us love so show them some love they're only 15 minutes from downtown denver and as always they want you to know that the first step to good health is by taking care of your mouth so get a cleaning x-ray and examine green mountain dental get that free sonicare toothbrush today all right
0: mates let's continue with the comments next one coming in from our guy dan burke hey guys after seeing the rams defense last night brandon staley is clearly on the fast track to becoming a head coach Been a good week for Vic. First, his defense confuses the heck out of Tua, and then his protege shuts down Brady and all those weapons. I know a large part of that is Vic is the play caller here, and it's also considered poor taste to deny your assistant coaches the opportunity to advance their careers. But Vic isn't going to coach forever. If you have a young talent like that on your coaching staff, why would you not try harder to retain him? The Broncos already said – or the Broncos already did something similar when they promoted Joe Woods in 2017, in part – because they viewed him as a rising star in the league, which has proven largely to be right. If they thought Staley has a future and is an eventual head coach, do y'all think they should have done more to keep him
1: in the building? Well, I'm going to try to see things from Vic Fangio's perspective here. And I'm um, going to harken back to Wade Phillips, second time that Wade Phillips as Broncos head coach has come up in today's podcast. I apologize for the old school detour. But Wade Phillips' defensive mastermind, as we all know, when he became the head coach, though, he decided to focus on the entire team, and so he hand over a lot of the defensive play calling and game planning responsibilities to Charlie Waters, who at the time was considered an up-and-coming coach, of course, a long-time safety for the Cowboys, and then got into coaching. And unfortunately, the Charlie Waters experiment as a defensive coordinator was a disaster. If you're a head coach and you've worked that long to get the job Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I've got to do this my way so I know that if I succeed or if I, or if I fail, I did what I could do. And so while I get what you're coming, where you're coming from, Dan Burke, with Brandon Staley, I don't think Vic Fangio was going to be in the mindset of saying, I'm going to hand off the play-calling baton on the defensive side to somebody who hasn't done it at the pro level before, even if it's uh, somebody as talented as, as Brandon Staley. Yeah, this, this was
0: just unfortunate because
1: with Joe Woods,
0: Dan, you, may, you make a good point that they promoted Joe Woods. Well, they didn't have anyone in his spot already. Uh, Wade Phillips had left, and so they had an open spot and decided to promote Joe Woods in order to keep him. They don't have an open spot now for Brandon Staley. Could Vic have fired Ed Donatel in order to promote Brandon Staley? I guess, but that was never going to happen. I mean, these two guys are best friends. They've been coaches together uh, for the past 10 years. So that was never going to happen. So they could have tried to promote him to, you know, a passing game coordinator uh, or or something like that. But I, I think this was the right move to let him go. Um, And I guess you did. You just say good job on being an aspiring head coach but uh, you should probably go to the Rams. So it is unfortunate. Uh, It's fortunate to see him succeed, but it's unfortunate that that you have to let him go. But I just don't know what else they could have done.
1: Yeah. And tip of the cap for that game plan last night, because Tom Brady looked more confused out there than we've seen him for most of his career. I mean, really forcing Brady into some bad, bad choices, especially on that interception at the end.
0: Yeah, really, seriously. Next one from negative false positive. Hey y'all, thanks for keeping me sane during this rough season. I heard a rumor that the reason we couldn't sign Simmons because was because of cash on hand problems caused by not having proper owners. Also heard the NFL will force a sale by fining the Broncos ten million dollars every year they don't have an owner. Anything to either of these? By the way, I still believe it was a negative false positive and Locke will put it together.
1: So it was a negative false positive, but were the uh the, uh, the negatives, all, false negatives, or were they real negatives? Or?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's negative and positive and false and true here?
1: Oh, my gosh. Ugh. The world <laughs> is confusing enough as it is. I think I just made it even more confusing. So, yeah, the, uh, the news that came down this weekend, and it was uh, first reported by Sports Business Daily, and then Pro Football Talk uh, dove some more into it and actually uh, cited a source saying that a sale was a possibility of, of the Broncos. Yeah, it's interesting that the, t- the timing on that. And the story that Pro Football Talk posted mentioned both the Broncos and the Titans. But didn't it seem to you, Zach, like this was more about the Broncos than the Titans? The Titans are divided between three uh, branches uh, coming from uh, Bud Adams, who, who died several years ago but the Titans are functioning pretty well right now. So didn't this feel like to you, it was more about the Broncos.
0: Yes, it definitely did. Definitely did.
1: And the thing with the Titans, it's interesting is that, uh, you know, Tommy Smith, uh, he ran the team for, for I think three years after Bud or two years after Bud Adams died. And it was completely chaotic. So it passed to another uh, branch of the family. And that's why Amy Adams Strunk now runs it. And, on her watch, they have fixed everything. They're actually a smoothly running operation right now. So, yeah, that's, that's another reason why I thought this was a shot across the bout, the Broncos. I, I mean, I do wonder sort of uh, what, the, what the source of, of this was, what, uh, what caused all this, because one thing we do know is that uh, Joe Ellis is, is, is close with Roger Goodell. Those two go back nearly 40 years. Uh, knowing yeah. each other back to uh, when Roger Goodell was young and working in the league office, and Joe Ellis was working at, at the league office as he did for I believe uh, I believe thirteen, fourteen years, he was over there at three forty-five Park Avenue. So this is it, it, it's it's not something that is fun to talk about, but until it's resolved, it's going to be the it, it's going to be the biggest story regarding the Broncos, and it. it it looms over everything. I mean, it looms over what we're talking about in terms of what you do football operation wise after the season, if right. the team does finish four and twelve or five and eleven.
0: Yeah, exactly. And if if they can pay players big amounts of money, right. it it's it's fascinating. And there's two guys. There's obviously Bulls and Simmons that could get huge contracts after the year.
1: And the thing that is interesting is that with all the guarantee, with the when you guarantee money, of course, you have to put escrow drink and. That is something where you see uh, like some of the guarantees that are being given to some of the bigger players. And I know some people talk about, Oh, what if Dak Prescott's on the market? Dak Prescott's going to be a hundred million dollar guarantee. Can the Broncos coming off a season where they realistically lost about 80, $90 million in revenue, I think best case scenario because of the pandemic. Can they with ownership that doesn't have a diverse array of, of businesses to draw uh, capital from if needed can they fork o- fork over the cash to put an escrow for a guarantee it's a big question
0: yeah that really is next one from maybe the dingo H.O. baby is there something to be said for Locke not trying to win the game on every throw his success percentage throwing 30 yards downfield on every drop back is equivalent to mr miyagi catching flies with his chopsticks and a punt on the flip side Taking a profit, whether it was two yards to fill or a quick screen, for four yards turned the offense
1: into a working machine. Well, RK likes to make the analogy of Drew Locke being a shooter who needs to see a shot go in, and maybe a way to have more success on the deep balls is by getting the short to intermediate stuff going quickly so he can kind of get that confidence before he takes it downfield because, you know, it's not just Sunday. It's over the course of his career, his – deep ball numbers are right there among the worst in football i mean pro football focus keeps track of this so maybe maybe some an approach has to change here but that being said if he doesn't improve on the deep ball it's not going to work out Right. Yeah, exactly. And
0: yeah, it, there could be something to that. Uh, maybe the dingo ate your baby, but uh, Mace, I, I, it's just, a, it's a progression. He needs to, he needs to get better in that and it doesn't all have to come in one game though.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. And that's why, how many times we say it's the season. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, we kind of go game to game and we do a stock watch. It's the sea, it it's the season. And that's why I tend to, look at numbers and say okay what has he done all year what has he done over the 13 starts what has he done from start 7 to 13 for example I, i'm trying to look at that rather than zeroing in on one game and i think that's the wisest course of action for every everybody here car ramrod my boys you got me yay I have been thinking of joining DMVR for a while now and finally did on Sunday after the Broncos sealed the win. Just wanted to be able to leave a comment on the post-game pod and be able to talk about it with everyone else throughout the year. I have listened to the pod since last year's training camp, and it's great, so I'm looking forward to getting to read your articles and other content you guys have now that I'm a member. I listen to the Avs pod also, and it's great as well. Question about Sunday's game. Do you think that when Brian Flores decided to pull Tua, the only thought going through his mind was, screw this. Thanks for the great coverage, FTR. Well, thank you, Car Ramrod, and we appreciate. We're we're so thankful you're riding with us.
0: Yes, we are in great first comment, Car Ramrod. Yeah, he he probably was thinking exactly that. <laughs> he was uh, probably not happy with how well Vic Fangio's defense was playing.
1: Yeah, and I think if they'd made the move a little earlier, the outcome of the game might might have been different. But uh, it's also interesting what the Dolphins are trying to do here because you know with the Broncos realistically we're not talking about playoffs we're talking about can is drew lock the guy and finding that out over the balance of the season in miami they're trying to develop a young quarterback while also be a play being a playoff contender and it's an interesting and delicate balance and sunday is where we kind of saw that it can lead to something we don't see in the nfl now the other the interesting thing Brian Flores being from a Patriots background. And the Patriots do some things in terms of shuffling guys in the game, being willing to pull a player who's having a bad game, but put them out there next week. We see it on the offensive line, for example, where the Patriots some years have had more different combinations, more shuffling than any other team in football. So I think Brian Flores kind of operates with the notion of, of more of a basketball or even a baseball relief picture-like mentality, something that we see with the Patriots, then other NFL teams do, where generally you say, okay, if he's an offensive lineman or quarterback, he's got to stay in there come hell or high water.
0: Right. That's a really good point, Mace. Next one coming in from Race City Bronco. Hey, guys, lately we've we've been falling into this trap where we want to compare a young emerging guy to a transcendent player in their trajectory. We've had this discussion with Drew Locke because this is the same conference as Patrick Mahomes, and it's disappointing because Drew is not living up to that standard. While this season is unveiling some of his warts, like how he struggles to read defenses and step up in the pocket, we're also seeing growth, such as when he's looking off safeties and showing toughness in the face of adversity. Broncos country is spoiled after watching Manning and Elway lead our team to seven Super Bowls, and there's a steep drop-off to the next tier of quarterbacks where Jake Plummer and Brian Greasy reside. However, Locke is a naturally gifted athlete with a good work ethic and a great attitude. I did some digging to find other quarterbacks within the past 15 years who have faced adversity their first two years in the league before making it work. Guys who had complementary skill sets to Locke and this is what I came up with. Eli Manning, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck, and Derek Carr. Over their first two seasons, they averaged 26 starts, a 56.8 completion percentage, 221 passing yards per game, and a quarterback rating of 77.4. Compare that to Drew Locke, who's on pace to make 21 starts, and through 12 games is averaging 58.7 percent completion rate, 214 passing yards, and a 75.7 quarterback rating. So, would you be happy if Locke, if he entered, or so would you be happy with Locke if he ended up in this tier of quarterbacks? And is he capable of reaching it?
1: It's interesting. It's, and also kind of if we parse out some of those those numbers here, you take uh, Eli Manning putting up a 70.5 rating back in 04 and 05, and uh and then another name mentioned, Andrew Luck, 81 Andrew Luck was 81.5 in his first two in his first two years in the NFL. The best of those guys off the top of my head, statistically speaking was Derek Carr and Derek Carr would have been the latest of those quarterbacks. Cause Eli Manning 0405 Stafford 0910 Matt Ryan 0809 luck 1213 Derek Carr 1415. Uh, and the thing that we keep seeing is that the, standards for quarterbacks statistically speaking they keep rising right like right now we're looking at a scenario where an average passer rating is about 91 that would have been significantly above average just 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 seven eight years ago right
0: yeah so,
1: that, so that's if he's a- at 70, yeah if he's at 75.7 I, I, that's not good enough for me
0: yeah, and Mesa, I think that's a good point. While Eli Manning did just retire, while Matthew Stafford's still playing, Matt Ryan's still playing, the game really was different over a decade ago. And, you know, for Eli Manning nearly two decades ago, I think you kind of need to Andrew Luck seems like the furthest you can go back uh and, right. and, and say it's a similar era and Derek Carr as well. And like you said, Derek Carr had the best stats of all of those guys and, and Ray City Bronco, it is a really good point, and you have great stats there. Um, But one of the reasons he's being compared to these quarterbacks that are playing so well right now and and why you and some people think it's unfair is because quarterbacks are just playing that well when they're young and and it's not right to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is, is on track to be the greatest player of all time in the game. But there's also other guys, Mace. Look around the league. How many other young quarterbacks are having success? Tua's having a ton of success statistically. I know the Broncos benched him. That was his worst game by far. But even with that bad game, statistically, he's still having a fantastic four games to his career. Justin Herbert's balling out. Joe Burrow was balling out. So it, it's really more of the norm to do really well instead of, uh, instead of having to overcome adversity. You do a great job, Mace, of pointing out how uh, Josh right. Allen did not start well. And he is one yes. of the few that was able to overcome that slow start. Drew Locke is now in that category with him. Can he overcome the slow start? Yeah, he can. Josh Allen proved it can happen. But it's, that would be the outlier as opposed to the norm.
1: Right. And the other thing, and again, I, I love the numbers, Race say Bronco. Part of the fun of this is that you can look at one, you can look at a, a set of numbers one way, you can look at a set of numbers another way and draw and draw different conclusions, But one thing that does concern me, and this is something where I think the last six games are so critical for Drew Locke here is that his starts seven through 13 for Drew Locke have been worse than starts one through six. So this is a trend that he needs to reverse. And Sunday was a step forward, but let's see if it continues. I mean, if, if it's, if it's a, false positive then we'll know but if he can build off that and more importantly if he can build off that and then they can start expanding the concepts that that drew lock has to execute then you might have something
0: exactly exactly
1: i I totally agree next one coming in from your guy mace oh yes our good friend the count who says my folks maybe i should let you say that I don't find myself waxing poetic about quarterback play. In my mind, it's the low-hanging fruit of the game of football. Myriad other nuances ignite the bubbles in my cauldron with far far greater intensity. A free kick, a pancake block, a stunt, a successful draw, or the sideline pouting of an aging star as the tides of an undefeated father time wash over him like a foreordained torrent of immutable irony. I guess that means you watched the Bucks game last night. (laughs) And of course the pure unapologetic bounce of a beautifully placed coffin corner kick. What is something that you have a penchant for that your group of peers does not, this need not be football related. Love the count. Mm. Mace, what are you going with? Oh, Ah, uh, man. It's a good question. Well, you know me. I like to talk. I- I I like to time the hang times on punts, so I would say something you mentioned, Count Locula, the beautifully placed coffin corner punt is something that I I adore. I am in the John Fox category. For me, a punt is not a bad play. And then in in another sport, in basketball, um, in basketball we don't see it that often because even in college basketball we only have the 30-second shot clock, but every so often when you see a team milk the shot clock down to two or one and execute a, a, a backdoor play or a, a penetration to the lane you know kind of the Princeton offense or a version of the old North Carolina four corners offense that's something I like to see and then in baseball I love a pictures duel. a one nothing pictures duel in baseball is artwork to me Yes, yes, I agree with those.
0: And Mace, I'm going to go, Count asks for our group. And I'm going to go with our group being uh, this podcast here and you and Ryan. And I'm going to go something that I like that you guys don't agree with is old quarterbacks. I love my old quarterbacks, Philip Rivers, uh, Tom Brady, who are some other ones that I've just loved this year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Oh yeah. Except, except for him. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers. I mean, come on, you're
1: you're leaving out maybe the best old quarterback right
0: now. (laughs) I guess, I guess old quarterbacks that are available. I think those guys can play. And, uh, even, even privately, we've had a conversation just, uh, Recently, um, Ryan does not think that Derek Carr is going to play another 10 years in the NFL. I think he's playing well enough. I think I, I think every quarterback that's at least good is going to be playing until they're 39. So I, I'm the sucker for old wise quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, you know, that was a fun conversation. And, and RK digging in that Derek Carr would not be playing in 10 years. I mean, If he gets hurt, has a serious injury, yeah, that changes the trajectory. But the thing that I'm kind of seeing is that there appears to be this maturity of the relationship between John Gruden and Derek Carr and even John Gruden's own uh, growth and maturation into one of the older coaches in the league and understanding that there are a lot of quarterbacks who can't handle his you-know-what, can't handle the crap that he, throws at, that he throws at a quarterback. But Derek Carr does. And that's why I think these two are going to be together for a long time. Yeah. Because Carr can deal with it and just let it, it – it's, you know, it's water off a duck's back. No coach is harder on his quarterbacks than John Gruden. And John Gruden is like Beethoven, who was deaf, trying to conduct one of his symphonies. And as he's conducting, the orchestra can't keep up because he's hearing it in his mind's ear one way, and he's conducting it that way. And that's a little bit of John Gruden. So it takes a special kind of personality to be able to handle that, the quarterback position. And Derek Carr is so even keeled with that death stare that he can handle it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i think if if they weren't
0: going to last together mace it would have already happened the divorce would have happened already. i agree and so i do think that it means they're in for the long term and i mean boy it's everyone had given up on Derek carr uh, mm-hmm. as a raider except yeah. for john gruden he's stuck by him and look what they're doing now they it was it disappointing that they lost to the chiefs uh, in terms of the raiders viewpoint probably but mace they went toe-to-toe with the chiefs uh, and beat them by more than they lost to them. The, if you take a step back, on one-on-one against the Chiefs and putting up a fight in your loss is, is incredible.
1: Well, what do we talk about with the Broncos, and whether it's Drew Locke or somebody else, it's finding the quarterback that can go punch for punch with Mahomes. Yeah. Well, the Raiders have that. Yep. yep. That's what Derek Carr is right now. He can go punch for punch with Mahomes.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Next one from J3Bronco. Hey, boys, been a quick minute since I've commented, but still an avid listener. Just a comment out of left field to give poor Drew a break from all of our scrutiny. Did anyone else watch Vic's press conference yesterday and see his disgust when Mike Kliss couldn't unmute his mic? muted <laughs> i literally made me laugh out loud i'd love to hear a perspective on this from y'all who are part of these conferences and think it was hilarious and couldn't haven't an happened and couldn't have happened to a better guy cheers
1: oh yeah that's uh, it's always funny right it, it, it <laughs> And, it, and if it happens, it almost always happens to Mike
0: Cliss. It really does, yeah. It's and that, hilarious, and that's why it's got to the point where Vic Fangio, uh, <laughs> what did he say? He said like you're a hundred, a hundred percent on unmuting or something.
1: Yeah, something like that. It was, it, 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 it was crazy. I mean, there, I had a te- I had a technical difficulty once, communication wise, and uh, they couldn't hear what I was saying. But uh, with with Mike, it was just. It's, it's it's happened i think what several times now right <laughs> yep it has <laughs> oh mercy oh mike <laughs> next one
0: coming in from the other ride my boys before we turn the page to week 11 or before we turn the page on week 11 i'd like to give a little more praise to the offensive linemen for their work on sunday and pass protection in the run game Surrendering zero sacks and gashing Miami's defense for almost 200 yards is no small feat, especially for how the Broncos' offensive line and Dolphins' defensive line were trending prior to the game. I really enjoyed Vic Fangio's remark yesterday about how the Broncos utilized runs from Green Bay Packers' 1960s playbook to counteract what Miami does up front. The run calls also reminded me of the University of Oklahoma in the 2018 Rose Bowl and the Joe Gibbs Washington teams of the 1980s and 1990s. The Broncos seemed to be their best even before Sunday when they had their linemen pull. The counter and power runs were potent. Watching Garrett Bowles, Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushionberry, Graham Glasgow, and Austin Schlottman pull up or pull out and get out in space was a thing of beauty. Obviously, this is now a tape for other teams to see how the Broncos play. But this was also what the Broncos did a heavy dose of uh, during the Mike Shanahan era. Is this poll game and play action off of it here to stay? I hope it is because I think this team has found an offensive identity in doing so. Have a terrific Tuesday. DNV Army salute.
1: Well, when you talk about Washington of the '80s and early '90s, before I moved to Tampa, I, I grew up cheering for that team, now known as the football team, and I still have a soft spot, my, spot in my heart for them, even though uh, they've been incompetently managed for two decades now. And boy, the counter tray—I mean, I can still see Joe Jacoby pulling and uh, and, and making room for whoever they had at running back. It was Don Riggins or George Rogers or Ernest Biner or Gerald Riggs. And maybe I shouldn't say this name to Broncos fans, but Timmy Smith. <laughs> 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 it was a thing of beauty. It was, uh, it was, it was a uh, brute force ballet and it was executed so well. And the thing about it was that, they did it so well, you knew it was coming and you couldn't stop it. I mean, counter, the counter tray. 50 gut was a play they loved early in the time with the Hogs in the early 80s with John, with John Riggins. That was another one that they really liked. It's, you know, it's magnificent. And, and Garrett Bowles talk, talked about it this morning, like how, how you get the run game going and you're firing off at the snap and you're building momentum and you're exerting your will. And it's old school and it may not be – you know, excite, it may not be as exciting as you might want to see in football, but it, it is how you can control a game. And and to, unless you have that hugely dynamic presence at quarterback, it's the best way to try to control the flow of a, of, a, of an NFL game is by winning things up front and having plays like that. I want to see more and more of this from the Broncos.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, it's funny because Mike Kliss was actually the one that asked this question to, to bring up the answer from Vic Fangio. Uh, well once he got unmuted, he, he asked it. And it was it got a good answer from Vic. What Vic said was they did this type of running on Sunday because of the Dolphins' fronts and the Dolphins' running some right. fronts where they found they could have success. But Mace, I really hope that the Broncos say, oh, well, it really worked for us. Let's do it again, even if it's not against the exact same front that Miami does. And you know what? They go out there against the Saints this week. It doesn't work. They tried another week against the Chiefs. It doesn't work. Well, then maybe it was just because of the front you were going up against. But your team looked darn good doing it. So I would stay with it.
1: I would as well, but knowing that it may not have as much explosive success. We may, be, we may not be talking about Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay averaging 5.1, 5.6 yards per carry. Against the Saints, success might be 3.9, 4.0 yards per carry. Remember, Miami 28th in per carry rush defense this year. New Orleans second, allowing only 3.3 yards per attempt. So success may be, you know, maybe little jabs here and there rather than some of those body blow runs that we saw on Sunday against Miami because the Dolphins' run D is not in the same universe as that of the Saints.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's not at all. And Mace, final one coming in from Broncholic711. Hey, guys, to clarify, my poor attempt to provide some humor in the comment yesterday, the announcers were probably mispronouncing the Dolphins. Uh, Ahmad, all day is Ahmad. Just, think, just made me think of the vertuoloquist comedian and Jeff Dunham and the name of the most popular puppets. Oh, I, I don't know Jeff Dunham. So Mace says it. Do you get it?
1: Uh, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm unfortunately, sorry, Broncholic. No.
0: <laughs> Thanks for reading the comment and all your great coverage. Uh, and then but he, here, he does but no, the link in there.
1: The Miami Pronunciation Guide does say his name is pronounced Ahmed.
0: Oh. So, yeah, and, they're getting it right.
1: And Savan Ahmed, I, I'm looking at a story from the Palm Beach Post, has pointed out to reporters that his name, his surname, is pronounced Ahmed, not Ahmed. All right, all right. So they so got they, it right. Yeah, we've been we've been justifiably hard on Kevin Harlan this year because of his numerous and hilarious attempts to pronounce Ojaimudia and Okwebunam. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but he mm-hmm. actually yeah. got
1: Ahmed correct.
0: Yes, he certainly did. Man, Mace, this has been a really, really fun pod. And if you want to get something correct, make sure to check out Green Mountain Dental. Well, they were always take care of your teeth and get them right. We've had several DNVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental over the years and made them their permanent family dentistry. They've had great things to say. Just exactly what we've told you guys about how they treat you like family, uh, how they're great to talk to. You can talk sports with them. and. That it's great to get a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. That's right. If you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental, they'll hand over a free Sonicare toothbrush. When you go there, make sure to tweet us. Let us know that you're going there and helping them out. Our sales director, Lindsay, had her wisdom teeth removed at Green Mountain Dental earlier this year. And she said it was the best dental experience of her life so make sure to check them out if you want the best dental experience of your life schedule that cleaning x-ray and exam and you'll receive a free sound care toothbrush with when you check out green mounted dental well mace that'll do it for us today thank you so much for rolling with us mace i really enjoyed this podcast with you and we will be back we'll be going live tomorrow on youtube right around 9 9 30 so make sure to check us out We will be doing this pod live. And if you can't catch us on YouTube, well, we'll be dropping the pod tomorrow as usual. Hey, Thanksgiving's coming up. We are so thankful for having you guys roll with us. and We will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in to the DNBR Broncos podcast.